Welcome everyone to the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the director of CPE. If you wish to learn more about our work to raise up evangelists and church planters around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our church in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. The song goes, Grace, Grace, God's Grace, Grace that is greater than all our sin. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 5, and in particular, verses 13 and 14 today. Here Paul is demonstrating the proliferation of sin that began with the one sin of Adam. This expansive nature of one sin to many sins, and one sinner to a multitude of sinners, is an example of the math of sin. It multiplies. Understand this, and you will begin to see the mystery of God's grace and the strange math of grace that adds up to be greater than all our sin. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. And the idea there is sin was not accounted for when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free grift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. It might be it read or understood this way. As a result of one offense followed judgment and condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Again, here what we might read is, as a result of many offenses or in response to many offenses followed the free gift of, in this case, the word here for justification is a justifying act, a justifying act. And we'll read about that justifying act again in verse 18. For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act. Now that's the exact same word that is translated as justification at the end of verse 16. That's why we would translate this as a justifying act. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of a life. So let's start here. This is Paul's argument. And it doesn't take much to prove this. The sin of one man, Adam, released a flood of sin and misery that has touched everyone ever after. It's come upon us all. Verse 12 says, because of Adam's sin, sin entered the world and death through sin because all have sinned. And then in verse 14, Paul gives a historical review of this world age under this impact, this invading impact of sin that entered in through the fissure of Adam's sin. This one sin, this one sin where God simply said, Adam, you just can't eat that fruit. And he ate that fruit. And that one simple, seemingly minor sin. Your parents have said things to you like that. Don't get into the cookie jar. And you did. And just that one sin. 
a fissure took place in which sin entered into the world. And in verse 14 it says that death reigned throughout the world like a malevolent king from Adam to Moses. And as we mentioned before, it's still reigning today. You can go and mark all the great men of history, and if you want to find out where they're pronounced before us and where they're prominent before us, they're pronounced at memorials above their graves. And there we look and give some testament to their life, but even the testament to their life is found in graveyards. Because death is reigning over all the world because of sin, and life is full of misery, life is full of disintegration because of sin, and life is full of death and ruin and disappointment. I just spent three weeks in one of the most beautiful places in all the world. One of the nice things about being in this place is that people unplug from all their technology. You know, in my neighborhood, if you see your neighbor walking by and you want to talk to them, you can call out their name and they don't hear you. They'll just keep walking because their head is on their phone and they've got plugs in their ears. They can't even hear you as they're walking on by. They're just moving through the community. But when you get out on the Oregon coast where we were at, you take those things out. You want to hear the sound of the ocean waves pounding away. And you're not looking at your phone, you're looking up at all the majestic beauty around you. And as a result of that, you actually notice the other people that are around you too that are enjoying the same thing. And for a moment now, you're not locked into your own little world where you're looking at this device in your hand and you're listening to whatever you're hearing from it in your ear in your own little world, but it cocooned away from everyone else. But in that place, you're all experiencing the same thing. And it's wonderful. In fact, one of the nice things about being the coast is you very rarely see a person who is sad to be there. Everybody seems to be smiling and kind of happy. And then as a result of it, oddly enough, you engage one another. It's kind of a thing that we used to do quite often that doesn't happen now, but you actually begin talking to one another. And you say things like, this is how it usually begins. Isn't that beautiful? What a lovely day. And there's always some comment of what they've seen and what they've experienced and the wonder of the place and the beauty. And this was happening every single day. I actually find it hard to make the, the three or four block trek back to where we're staying without being stopped for a half hour to 45 minutes because of people that you begin engaging talking. And not only that, once that opened up, they wanted to talk about other things. And all you had to do was ask them a few questions. Where are you from? How long have you been here? How often have you come here? And on, and now they begin to open up their life before you in this beautiful place. But here's the interesting thing. Even in this beautiful place, if you just listen to them and let them talk for over five minutes, it would always pivot to some point of disappointment or misery or defeat or discouragement or it would be juxtaposed against what's going on in their world and their life. And this happened every single time. It was surprising that even in the most beautiful place, I think one of the most beautiful places on the face of the earth, you ultimately, even in recognizing it, you can't forget the gnawing truth and reality that there is misery and there's destruction and disappointment in your life. And it would come through. There would be a breath of kind of like winsomeness in the people. Oh, if only life and if only the beauties we're seeing in this place could somehow just radiate themselves constantly upon our life. But... We know we've got to go back to reality at some point. That's what you kind of would meet when you met individuals and talked to them. And this haunting behind even the beauty that they were experiencing of their miseries. So it is. This is what Adam brought to all of us. Adam's one act of disobedience has thrust us into a condition and conditions of sin and death and the consequences of sin and death that we are born into and conditions and consequences that then begin to produce sin and death in our own lives. Everything evil in this world 
everything broken in this world broke in upon us at the moment when Adam sinned. As I mentioned in my last message, it, it might be helpful, and I found this helpful in talking to individuals because I was able to share the gospel a few times, to point out to them that that misery and that disappointment that they're weighing and measuring and seeing and proliferating in the areas where they live and in their lives, those negative things that are compounding their life all began from one decisive act, and it proliferated from that point. It, it began at the point where the Bible teaches us where one man sinned, Adam. And, and, and this, by the way, you can prove to them is true in their own lives. They can look back in their own lives and see how one bad decision, one indiscretion, one thing has opened up a whole fount of pouring in of difficulties and trials and hardships. And it, it's not hard to prove them that a bad action, a bad decision, a moment of indiscretion can produce ramifications and consequences that go on and on beyond themselves. And they're experiencing themselves as well. And that's what happened when Adam sinned. Now listen, the reason you don't share that with them is in order to just pick the scab of their miseries and their sufferings. It's actually a hopeful thing. It's to say, now listen, if, if it's possible that all this has begun by this one person's indiscretion, and it's cast itself over the world, what the Bible offers is the hope that by one man, one supernatural man's perfect righteousness and provision, that he can reverse all that and begin to pour into us life and grace. And that's the gospel message. It was good to be able to share that with individuals. This is what Paul is talking about. Adam is a type of the one who is to come. This is hopeful. He says, the one who is to come. It's a very dramatic statement. The one who is to come. That means this. He has come. It's a hint. The one who was to come has come. And he has provided an answer. And he's provided a solution to this cascade and this ongoing tidal wave and tsunami of sin that swept over the world and over your life. And he has a current, a back current that he's bringing to reverse it all. Because Adam was just a type of the anti-type. In this case, the word anti-type means one who perfectly fulfills. One who perfectly fulfills all the positive hopes against all the negative things that Adam represents. So that's what he's talking about. If one person could bring all this misery to us as a type, a negative type, then one supreme divine man can bring to us. What could he bring to us? as the positive fulfillment of all these things. This is the major point we've made in the past, and I just want you to lock into it again, and we're going to just talk about this, but that remember that Adam is a negative type of the positive anti-type of Jesus Christ. Adam's sin has brought all this growing account of sin and death and misery, so that from one man's disobedience, there has proliferated with it all this death that is ruling over our age like a king, but there is one who has come, who has, just as Adam has brought this multiplication of sin, there is one who comes now, and as we believe and trust in him, brings with him a multiplication and an ongoing expanse of righteousness that shall last throughout all eternity. Paul is going to talk about the free gift that this antitype Christ will bring, and he's going to talk about the abundance of life that he brings that will exceed the compiling of the record of sin and death in our life, and the record of sin and death in the world, but to appreciate the free gift, Paul is going to juxtapose him against, and he's going to continue to press home the misery that Adam has brought to all of us. And so, again, let's look at this for a moment. Let's consider it. So here's our first point that we're going to give to you this morning, and it's this. In Adam's one sin, there is this growing math of sin. 
there is this growing account of sin that builds off of Adam's one act of disobedience that is being pressed home to us. Look at verses 13 and 14. We spoke about this a month ago. Look at verses 13 and 14. There we read this. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Now, we mentioned this before, that the, the Jews had an idea that sin was only actually, in a sense, actualized when a law had been given. They actually believed that the pronouncing of the law on Mount Sinai and hearing the pronouncing of the law, God made known their sins, but it was in that place that God led them to a place of sacrifice where their sins were forgiven. So the law was necessary in order to be know their sins and be cleansed of their sins. And the Gentiles were just in a condemned state, but they had no knowledge of their sins, so they had no way or no access to get forgiveness through a sacrifice for their sins. And that is basically the idea that they believe. And Adam, uh, Paul is to some extent promoting that idea. But for the, the Jew, their idea was that there was no sin, ultimately, until the law was pronounced. Paul is not agreeing with that idea. He's saying, no, it's just that the sin wasn't accounted for. It wasn't understood. It wasn't appreciated. But sin was still in the world, and it was still ruling, and death was still ruling up to that point in time. And we know it's true that Cain murdered his brother before the law was given. Before thou shalt not murder was given and pronounced on Mount Sinai, Cain murdered his brother, and God judged Cain. And after that, Lamech came and boasted to his two wives that he had slain men and that he was going to suffer like his great-grandfather was. Cain had suffered, and... On and on with murder. And then not only that... Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We'd love to hear from you. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to send us a message of encouragement or a prayer request. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.